0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Race's Formula E podcast. I'm your host Andrew Vanderberg and joining me as always is our roving Formula E correspondent Sam Smith and our special guest is the most successful British driver ever to race in top class American single-seater racing alongside his trio of Indy 500 wins and four IndyCar titles. He's also been part of the Formula E commentary team since the very beginning when we all headed off to Beijing not really knowing what to expect and that's sort of been the way that it's been since, hasn't it, Dario? That's like Formula E's unpredictable nature. Yet here we are, having gone to Tempelhof for the final six races and had
1: the championship wrapped up early. Yeah, we didn't expect that, did we? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, hello, boys. How are we doing? Yeah, very good. Great to have you. Good to be here. Yeah, we didn't expect that. We didn't. I think um, anybody that's followed Formula E has just seen how unpredictable it can be, and you've got all the even the teams with all the the, the data analysis that they have on results and all this stuff, you're just used to the unpredictability. And we saw it, we saw it even in Berlin, you know, Gunter winning one day, starting at the back of the grid the next. But then, you know, from the time he showed up, Da Costa just got on that roll, didn't he? That um, on the reverse direction track and it set him up um, to go along with his, his, his win in Marrakesh. It really set him up for that championship. And it was a, very unusual and an odd feeling, I think, to have the Formula E Championship wrapped up before the last round. No, it was a, a
0: weird season in general, you know, starting off in Saudi Arabia last year, what feels like, I mean, a, a different lifetime ago, and then the, the, like a normal season for a little bit, a massive gap, and then all those races condensed into such a short period of time. What was it like being there?
1: Yeah, we, racing of any type, we don't do. We don't have like playoffs, do we? We don't have those, the American sports have the, you know, whether it's the, the playoffs and any of their stuff, you know, they, they, they pack everything in. Um, college basketball, March Madness, for instance. You know, it's game after game after game. We don't do that. We spread seasons out over, over eight months. And it just had a, it's a different challenge, I think. It's a mentally a different challenge for the teams, for the drivers, you know, using the same layout on a couple of occasions. And obviously the three the layout thing. Um, worked very well, but it, a completely different mental challenge, um, and really a difficult physical challenge for for all the people on the ground. But it was, I I thought from the start it was a great idea, um, and I'm a bit of a traditionalist and tend to sort of say, oh, that's not going to work with a lot of the ideas that come out. But I, from the very, st- and I have been proved wrong in a lot of those ideas. I have to say, you know. Mode, for instance, I was like, oh, you're going to do what?" I think it's been a brilliant addition to the to the to Formula E. But you know, this Berlin situation, um, I thought was a was genius, really. To to it was the only way that we were going to get a season. You know, certainly a half se- a season completed, a half seasons worth of races, in, in a short space of time, and put some variety in it, um, keeping everybody as safe as they possibly could be as well with all the COVID protocols. And um, yeah, it was weird not having fans there. Absolutely, as it's weird, you know, being in Indianapolis just now and not having fans there. But as a as events, I think Formula E did a phenomenal job to to put the events on, and uh, you know, the races were were pretty impressive too. So, obviously you weren't now
0: having to cover the event remotely. How did that work for you? What What did you make of it?
2: Yeah, it was a bit strange to be honest. Uh, not being at the track and. Uh... Having those illicit chats with with uh, snouts behind bins and in garages, but uh, you know it, it actually worked really well. There was a there was a good remote um, organisation in terms of the the media there. I, you know, I think the event itself looked great on TV, and you know that's the way it uh, it had to come across for for Formula E because it was so difficult for them to make a clear judgment because you can only go on what you're told as an organisation heading into those things by local governments and and above that as well. Uh, Clearly, Formula E did a pretty strong job to get the thing done, as Dario says, and and in quite an innovative way with those three different track configurations. Um, You know, there's this rigorous procedural system that was in place for practical uh, reasons, and it had to be done with a headcount of no more than a thousand it it kind of bent my head a little bit as to you know the fact that two of the positive tests covid tests were the chairman of the championship and one team principal that was that was fairly alarming um but generally it was it was good organisation i think the outcome of it was strong and you know overall it was probably as as best as they could hope for in terms of getting the season done uh, and ticking off that six event threshold that the FIA have um um, and when we can all call de costa and Diaz to worthwhile champions after eleven races, which you know I think on a variety of tracks uh you know will 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 hold the test of time in terms of in terms of crowning the champions in a very very tough season,
0: yeah, they say there were three different track configurations, but it didn't seem to matter which one it was. da costa was the man to beat um Darryl, what did you make of his performance? i mean he was head and shoulders above the rest in Berlin wasn't he
1: he especially on the reverse layout the first layout that was used um I mean, sort of, it was mad really that you watched him just continually get, you know, the pole positions that was impressive, but the fastest lap as well in the race and just rubbing your quickest in group qualifying. Um, and we were talking about the the fact he doesn't slide the car as much as maybe some of the others, obviously the the DS to Cheetah is incredibly efficient as well as being fast, but his, his confidence level was such as well. If he made a small mistake on a a qualifying lap, for instance, he was able to, to recover from it and, um, you know, he put the pressure on on Jean-Eric Vern, his at the time championship winning, double championship winning teammate. It was it was a very impressive performance and something we don't normally see in Formula that sort of dominance. But I think to to Sam's point, he he's a worthy champion. He was leading the championship before we we showed up in Berlin, and he just he rubbed <laughs> he rubbed salt into the wound there and. Um, He's a popular champion too, but he absolutely deserved it. And um, you know, Diesta Chita did, did a great job as well, winning the team's championship again. And it cannot be underestimated the job that they're doing and Mark Preston and trying to control some difficult situations at times with um, you know with Eric and Antonio getting you know maybe a little bit upset with each other. So
0: that's three in a row now for Di Chita. I mean, and in a sport where they're up against the big German marks as well as uh, Jaguar and other teams like that. What is it that they're doing? How how do they have this advantage?
2: Well, you're right. It's quite a story. Uh, five titles in total with the team's titles now in, in three seasons. That's a fairly remarkable strike rate. You know, this is motorsports, and naturally there are whispers, there are rumours. You know, but actually since the start of the season, that has, you know, they have proven, they had a difficult weekend in Riyadh, but that apart, I think stripping it back, the belief is that they have... They've got something whereby they can regen better than other packages um possibly through their break by wire system which they you know they've had this long uh, lineage of tech and um and systems that stretch back to their their rally projects through with with Citroen um you know eight seven eight years ago and I've been to um their base in Suttery just south of Paris and They have cells within their technical makeup there that are just focusing forensically on these little details. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's something there that gives them an advantage of being able to, to regen better than than others or more efficiently. And then this gives them adaptability and strategizing more for the race. That I think that is combined in Berlin with da Costa having this kind of amazing natural feel for a for a green track in the first two races uh, on the reverse configuration, and I think it just provided that whatever it was, it was sort of between point four in some in some some occasions, which is massive in Formula E, and, and then when you factor in the drop off in points through their rivals like BMW and Jaguar. Especially, it meant that De Costa just broke free, and and you know he checked out if, effectively, and it was it was a smash and grab, but it was done in a nice with a nice flourish. You know he he fully deserved it. He was so hooked up. It just it almost stunned everyone into submission. So, I, I you know I think the point of what they have, whatever it is, and obviously we're you know they're not about to tell us or anyone else how they're doing it, but they do have a, an advantage technically. And uh, from a from a driving capability as well with the Costa, certainly in in specific rounds like those first two in Berlin.
0: Dario, you mentioned earlier that the Costa maybe had Jev a little bit rattled. Were you expecting Jev to put up a little bit more of a sterner title defence than he ultimately mastered?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of was because I, I I rate him very very highly. But you know the, the DNFs hurt him. I mean straight away out of you know of the blocks in in you he had that steering bizarre thing with the steering locked up. You know he couldn't drive the car. I mean, he asked me to turn the wheel afterwards, and it was trust me, it was locked solid. So he did a phenomenal job to get it back to the pits. Never mind, um, never mind. He finished the race, but that was that put him on the back foot straight away. Um, yeah, there's just those. Yeah, I think you hold him to such a high standard. The DNFs hurt, but then when your teammate is is just out ahead of you and just out of reach, that that's probably why we put so much focus on that and the, and the radio transmissions. I mean, race one. In Berlin he made a mistake in turned five on lap one and I honestly think that was the, the unraveling of it all the unraveling of certainly that race and once you've lost that distance to the car in front the, the, the levels of, of, of sort of efficiency they're dealing with the, the, the increments to, to gain that back was it was nearly impossible for him um in fact it was, it was impossible clearly but um yeah, it's it's very difficult and the Costa does it and I've said this, I did this on the broadcast a lot the Costa he's smart and he's a lovely guy but when he beats you he does it with a big smile on his face too and it's very difficult to to dislike him um if you're even if you're a competitor of him and that that's I think one of the hardest things as well for the, for the guys that are getting beaten by one of the nicest guys in the paddock uh, and he was making it look not easy but you know he, his attitude was yeah fine and that, that that I think some some of the guys we're a bit distressed by that, shall we say?
0: Do you think this has had any sort of long term implications? Because this is to cheat sort of Jeff's team, right? And he, up till now, he's always had his teammate. Even we've Andre running quite close. He's had them in his pocket. You know, is he, is he going to be able to bounce back from this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's made a strong stuff, and 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 we. We said it during the broadcast. Jack and I were talking. Said, "Wait, wait for the bounce back, here, Jack." And he did. He fought back hard, and um, yeah, he's he's he'll come back re-energized next year. And, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be if they've. I mean, who knows what the technical landscape's going to look like? But if they've got um, if the car is is good relative to the others, others in the field, he'll. I think it'll be it'll be a hell of a battle between those two um, going down for the whole season, really. On that point, we saw
0: BMW, Mercedes, and Nissan. Win races in Berlin alongside DS. Are they the the most natural heirs um, apparent to take the fight to them next year?
1: <laughs> I mean, S- Sam will tell you this. Who who knows? It's, it's <laughs> Nissan, Nissan sort of started out the year in a difficult situation. Um, they just they weren't that com- that competitive, shall we say? And they finished with such a flourish, um, and they looked almost the equal of the DS guys um, at the end. Their Mercedes, pooh, their 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 finish. That was mighty and um b m w on the other hand, they started very strongly and and and, and i say faded off, but Gunther still won in Berlin, but they just the, the consistency was was not there jagger they what they won by what two days in mexico city <laughs> i mean, they were at the airport before the others actually finished the race, and it but then in in berlin they were they struggled the whole time, so that was a that was an odd one. Um, I think you'll see it mixed up, especially next year with some teams using new powertrains um, and some teams continuing to use their uh, their old one because of this new two-year two rule.
0: Sam, obviously people have seen what Mercedes have done in Formula One and Maybe read a bit into that one-two in the final race as a as an ominous sign. Uh, how did you rate
2: uh, Mercedes' first season, and, and do you see them me- making that big step next year? I thought they did an excellent job, actually. I think, you know, you, you're you've got to temper it a little bit, ever so slightly, as as they had that stalking satellite season with uh, HWA Race Lab in eighteen and nineteen. But you know, the, the team the team is strong. They've um, they've added to it. Uh, Nick Chester from Renault F1 is is with them now. You know, they they had threatened to get a major result ever since Van Dorn took that brace of podiums back in uh, back last November in Riyadh. But they had a fair few operational and technical issues, um some errors which cost them you know, Van Dorn had a few AWOL races, particularly yeah, he made a mistake in Mexico, and then he sort of just disappeared in Marrakesh. But that apart, they've been strong, and it came together in in Berlin, and they got the job done. Yeah, will they dominate like they have in Formula One? Short answer is easy. Answer is no, because that just doesn't happen in Formula E. I think I described it in a in a recent piece like a like a, a bonkers tombola, because you know you just don't know what's going to come out at every race. You get this uh, this real lottery type. Um, situation with the qualifying system you know yes Da Costa did it a bit in, in Berlin but we've explained the some of the circumstances behind that and it was rather skewed because of the the, the quirkiness of the calendar, which was enforced upon this season, but the qualifying system really is a thing in Formula E, and and the cost efficient nature of the the championships uh, constitution or whatever you want to call it, from a regulatory point of view, just doesn't allow it. I I reckon over a normal season, if you score if you score three wins from fourteen races, you're doing bloody well in this game. You really are, and you know Jeff proved that last season. He won three E and he and he took the title. No one else came close to. To score it, I think fryan has got two, and he? he got one in New York. So he was the only other one who scored more than one victory. So it's just super tough, and you know we love it all the more for for the way that it's um, the, the way that it's organised itself. It just really stands out in in motorsport for that reason. So you know, domination is is nigh on impossible. I think. Obviously,
0: the seen the you know the cream rising to the top, but some surprisingly slipping towards the back. Like Audi had a really sort of anonymous season. What what happened there, Daria?
1: Yeah, it's, I don't know, short answer, I don't know them. you know, Alan McNish and the team there were, were clearly hoping for, for good things, and, um, you know, Degrassi, I mean, he always manages to pull a result, result out, doesn't even when his, when his qualifying um, hasn't been so strong, um, but then you saw Renny Rast come in and qualify quite well, yeah, he had the advantage of, of being in the last group when the track's at his best in, in, in those late Berlin races, but, um, it just it just weren't really, it was that last sort of 1%, wasn't it? They were missing on on occasions. And there'll be a rethink there, I think, on, on, over the winter um, or over the gap, shall we say. And I think Degrassi will have to, and I've said this before and he gets annoyed with me um, about it, but he has to improve his qualifying form. Um, and I, I would be shocked if Renny Rast's not in the second Audi next year. And he—he—he's he, a DTM champion. He's won in everything he's done, but he proved to be a, a pretty tasty performer. And he'll be a great addition to to Audi and the championship. I mean, let's not forget that um, the Envision Virgin guys had the same uh, the same powertrain and at times looked a better uh, a better sorted package.
0: Yeah, well, they took a couple of race wins as well, didn't they? So. Um... I think you're, you're spot on with Rast and uh, I think we, we all knew he would do a good job and I think he even uh, exceeded expectations. Um, Formerly, he has been quite sort of stable in terms of driver movements, but there's quite a lot going on in, on this off-season, one of which being Pascal Vairline, who was sort of benched by Mahindra uh, for these races, uh, rocking up at Porsche.
1: What do you make of that move? Is he the right man for that job? I think it's a great move, for Pascal, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for him um, to drive for Porsche, such a, an iconic brand. I mean, I, I came close to driving for Porsche at one point and it was, yeah, it was the best car in WEC at the time. But there was such a, an emotional attachment to, to driving for them as well. So I think Pascal will will see that and see the resources they have. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it clearly didn't end so well for for him, with his relationship with 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 Dillbag Gill and, and the Mahindra people, but that um, that allowed Alex Lynn to get in, into the team and do a, a phenomenal job in in, in Berlin. Um, so that was a, a bit of a win win for it, for for everybody. And I think you know, we've seen Pascal now being after sort of the silence. Everybody knew he was going there. We've seen the the press photos. So um, he'll he'll be good. I mean, Pascal's very very quick. That's, you know, that's, he's, he's done some phenom- phenomenal performances in Formula E. So. Um, I'm excited to see him in the in the Porsche next year.
0: Sam, you broke that story about a couple of months ago. Now, what do you make of it, and and what have you made of Porsche's season? Bit bit up and down, but they they got the pole, they got the podium.
2: Yeah, they did. You know, I th- I thought they they had a really good first season. To be honest, there there were quite a few um, whispers, insinuations before the uh, campaign started that they might be in trouble. Actually, uh, but that didn't really come to pass. They got that e- early podium with Lotterer. In diria um and then they followed that up. They hit some more milestones with lotterer's pole uh Neil Johnny struggled um you know we, we we've heard about his tribulations there, which was a you know a huge shame and and a bit of a shock actually for me i i, I thought that he, he he'd do better, but he's not the only one in, in East history to you know to excel at other disciplines of the sport, but then really struggle with the um particularly the breaking elements of of Formula E. As for Verline, you know, an element of no brainer. Really, I think Dario was spot on when he said, you know, if, if Porsche come calling, it's you know, you, you don't you don't even consider saying no. Really, it's the equivalent of, you know, it's the equivalent of the old man at Maranello calling you up in the seventies or eighties, isn't it? You you go and you you do what he says, really, or what they say, you know line he needs a stable manufacturer base, I think, to, to sort of iron out some of the quirks that he's had in his career. He is quick. We know that. He's good. But there's just, I don't know, there seems to be something, something missing. And it might just be that he needs that foundation of a big manufacturer or to feel loved. You know, some drivers are like that, aren't they? I, I, in 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 this sense there's that sort of slight roguish element i think he'll he'll get ironed out he'll perform he'll knuckle down and he'll, he'll get some big results i think for porsche they had to get somebody to build their future with you know at 38 and 36 respectively uh, andre and, and neil were never going to be the long term basis for that team although they have some really decent Young talents like Thomas Prining and, and Matt Campbell around, they just won't throw them into something like Formula E at, at that age, at that tender age. So I think Verline fits the bill nicely. He'll be a he'll form a formidable partnership with with Lotterer. Although on the face of it, I can't think of two more polar opposite personalities in a way. But often, you know that that works, doesn't it? How many times have we seen it? Two completely different characters uh, forming a good alliance at a team. So maybe. Porsche have been quite quite far-sighted in that, you know. Lotter has been around the block a few times and isn't scared of anything. So, I think they've got a really strong proposition between them there and uh, a potent duo for, for the future.
0: Dario, they they barely even started trying to sweep up the mess that Van Dornen made on the podium when Venturi had announced that Felipe Massa was uh, leaving the team. We. Bit surprised at the the speed and the, of that announcement of that decision.
1: Um, possibly the speed. I wasn't surprised that the, the, the decision was made, um, but the speed. Yeah. Um, the I think that relationship, though, I think is it doesn't say to me that that I think that's a very it was a very sort of warm relationship between Susie Wolf, Felipe Massa, and the team. It wasn't a sort of they weren't headbutting, they weren't having big fights or anything. Um, I think they just both realised it had run its course, and they need, needed to go in a different direction for next year. Um, so it's sad not to see Felipe in Formula E, um, just because I think he's a great guy. I like his personality. I like the way he's dealt with the adversity that you know things have thrown him. Whether it was the World Championship at, at, in Brazil when when Lewis won it after Felipe thought, or you know this huge accident, I just like Felipe. He's a, he's a fighter, and he's a he's a cool little guy. But Formula E just. It just the results weren't there and um so you know the, the team has to move on and I don't think he was enjoying it he, he was enjoying not fighting for the for wins some um
0: formerly themselves were sort of underwriting a bit of uh, of massa's salary there uh, is there any hope for him or and if not what ultimately went wrong
2: uh, in terms of future no I don't think so I think he'll go on to do to do other things and and, and as dario said he he plainly wasn't happy down in 13th, 14th or, or where have you. I think really what went wrong with with Felipe and, and Venturi is that actually from his point of view, I think he, sl- he slightly underestimated how hard Formula he was going to be, in all honesty. You know, he's not he's not an arrogant guy. He's a, he's a lovely guy. Um, but I just think that F1 can spoil you a little bit. You know, we've seen it before. We saw it with Verne. In 2014, when he came to Punter, after you know he's at the nadir of his of his career, he'd, he'd been cast aside by a Red Bull. He comes in, gets pole, nearly wins the race, has a good season, and then gets hammered by Bird in season two, and he goes into this spiraling trough. And thankfully, pulled himself out of it. I don't think Felipe was at the age or the you know or all the where he is in his career to go through all that, and and practically he was. He was too aggressive as well on things like just steering inputs, braking. He tried to force it too much and you just can't do that in E. He was also a what what a lot of the guys in the field call a waster. Now that sounds really horrible, but actually what it means is that you you know, you waste energy when you're in battle. So he wouldn't give up positions, he'd fight and fight. And the bigger picture, the outlook of the race would be changed because he was Spending so much energy on on defending and it hurt him and it hurt his race. That happened a lot and he he never seemed to get over it. The team has to take some of the blame too, of course, because you know I think they should have at least attempted to change his approach uh, that we've just that I've just described there. It got to the point whereby he didn't hit his performance clause in his contract. I'm sure that's what it was, and then it was easier for the team not to action the third year of his of his option because he you know he did have the possibility of doing a third year so game over you know that's that's it legacy wise he was you know he was great for the championship everyone enjoyed seeing him and, and talking to him um, you know it's a legacy which you know was good for the the wider reach of the championship his name was great it globalized the formulary e message in a sense but it also showed as well that you can be a former Grand Prix winner um, albeit at the end of a you know not at the start of a career that you can have a that you can't have an easy ride in this championship i i actually don't think it would have made a massive difference whatever team felipe was with that that's a personal opinion i just i just don't think he wanted it enough at, 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 in informal e terms and it sounds harsh but I, honestly i think it's true i just he it, it didn't seem to really uh, go above and beyond to get further in the field, and uh, you know, ultimately counted against him. it. He also
0: seemed to be a bit of a crash magnet. most of the time, when he was being shown in the midfield, he was being you know, double teamed from either side as these other guys were going past him.
1: Yeah, you know, having done to Sam, what Sam was saying, now, having done, tried to do something different when I went into tried NASCAR. As you get, I mean, older for you know, in, in, in driver years, driver years are like dog years, you know. As you get older, it's harder to it's harder to adapt to new things. And that, I think, you see that in Formula E. You see a lot of the younger guys come in and they click just because they're easier. It's easier to adapt because generally, you're in, in your formative years. You're jumping from every year into a new car, a new type of power, a new type of downforce, new type of tire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When you get into a, you know, for me doing IndyCar for X amount of years, jumping into something different was like, wow, this is very difficult to adapt. And uh, you can see Felipe
2: struggled um, with 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 some of the. The bits of that. If we're talking dog years, I reckon Dario's got to be an over-affectionate Labrador. Absolutely, (laughs) 100%.
0: (laughs) Dario, do you think um, Massa's experience might put other xf one drivers off? I'm thinking with the musical chairs going around, someone like a Grosjean might well be looking for a drive. Do you think that experience might dissuade him against giving
1: it a go? Um, I think it might dissuade the teams from hiring a name I think you've got to you've got to be sure what you're getting I think before you put ink on the contract and I think you're seeing that some of the other drivers on the way up I mean look at Nick De Vries, look at the job he did this year look at the job Mitch Evans did you know when when he came into the championship Oliver Rowland Stoffel Van Dorn you know and then some of the, the other guys they really they clicked with it as well something you know he said you mentioned Lotterer earlier he's one of the, the older drivers on the grid he's he's absolutely clicked with the with the championship too, um, it's it's a different style and it's a different feeling from the, the, the car and the tire. And that's before you even go into the energy saving part of it. So um, yeah, I, I would want to know if the person, regardless of their name or of their past achievement, I would want to know what they could do behind the wheel of a Formula E car before I, I put their name on a contract. Um, we
0: saw quite a few drivers um... Making a seasonal debut or even a series debut in Berlin, Sergei sete Camera, Alex Lynn and Rene Rast, we've we've mentioned. Um, how do you think that they get on, and did they do enough uh, to uh, merit a full time driver? Although I mean, I think we all assume that Rast is a shoe in the Audi.
2: Yeah, I you know taking Rast uh, first off, I I thought he did a great job. You know, Dario mentioned it um, earlier on in the show. I, we were expecting him to be to you know not to not not to sort of drop off and and be non existent he's a double dcm champion. he's a, he's a class act what i'm hearing from behind the scenes is that you know he's he's extremely mot- motivated extremely driven and and wants to make a go at this and you know the expectation is that you know within the next month he'll be confirmed as degrassi's teammate for next season i, I can't envisage any anyone else Getting that drive, he did a terrific job, and I think you know the the headline will be that movie made on Andre Lotterer, which I actually think was one of the moments of the season. Really, you know, it's not often Andre Lotterer gets out Lottered, is it? I mean, he got he got completely uh, owned there. That doesn't happen a lot. Uh, So fair play to Rast. He 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 got he got mauled a little bit in the first two races, um, kind of overcompensated, got a bit of a slap from. Scott Elkins for, for some uh, some robust defending, but then found a, a happy medium and did that move to get his first podium. So he did a great job. Sergio Sete Camera did a did a solid job for Dragon, you know, massively hamstrung by the Penske E V four and its capabilities. But he you know, he, he had the he had the he equal the pace of Nico Muller and then beat him a couple of times and, and did a great job to qualify ninth in the in the final race and was in the top 10 before, you know, the, in- the inevitable happened and he fell back. Alex Lynn, you know, I think of the three from a points perspective and consistency, you know, he, he was with Robin Fryan's the on average that the highest placed um grid performer uh, sorry qualified performer you know his average starting place was sixth, which when you consider the guys only had a you know a, a filming day effectively going around bedford or aerodrome and a, and a bunch of simulator days is it's pretty good you know and he, he outperformed somebody who's been in that car for for a long time in the Jerome d'ambrosio so fair play to alex Lynn. i thought he did a, a, an excellent job but, you know it, it's unfair to say he's got a lot to prove because I think he's proved a hell of a lot beforehand, anyway. You know, getting pole on his debut and putting in some great performances in, with cameos with Jaguar last season. But I think it was a timely, um, a, a timely place to remind a lot of people that, that he can really, uh, really push on and, and get some big results in Formula E. So yeah, um, amongst the three of them, I thought they were all we were all pretty good.
0: Dario, I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh that we were there when we all embarked upon that journey out to Beijing, uh, what feels like a million years ago now for that first Formula E race. Now we're on the cusp of it becoming a world championship. What do you make of where Formula E is now and how is it um, compared to what your expectations were back in September 2014 or whenever it was?
1: (laughs) My expectations weren't very high. I think think you, um, V2B, I think you saw my face. When I walked in the paddock the first time, um wasn't the happiest I've ever been in my life, let me say that. <laughs> I um, I was yeah, I didn't expect it to to make it through the first season, to be honest with you. Um, we were concerned to give you some idea, we were told what to do in the if if all the cars sat there when the lights went green, Jack said for the first time, and we go green in Beijing and all the cars didn't move. I mean this was something they were attempting something crazy, something completely mad. And that first race was good and um just watching the growth. I remember going to Hong Kong season 3 I think it was was it the first round. I think it was season 3 and I walked in and I looked around and went, oh, "Okay, this is serious now. This is this is become big time." And then you could see obviously with the the, the Big manufacturers really coming in two to join the the stalwart teams. It's just continued to grow, and the fact that it's now it's got the world championship status going on for season seven. But just the, the way it's thought of in the the wider world, but in the racing community too, um, is and the way drivers think about competing in there. It's it's become a massive part of of the racing landscape, and it's it, you. I mean, incredible um, foresight from from Alejandro and, and that whole team just to, to get it to where it, it is and then Jamie Regal and watching him sort of grow into that role and I really felt in Berlin he's he's grown into that role now he's brought his own team around him as well um, the future I think the future is bright um, and I'm super impressed with it because seeing where it started yeah it's, it's been an incredible growth um, an incredible speed of growth and um be interesting to see what the future holds
0: do you think it being a world championship will change anything about it from being on
1: the ground is it just a name or does it mean a bit more than that i think it means more i think if it's something's a world championship i think it's it's i mean a lot of the drivers feel it's a world championship anyway and it, and it has been but this is just that that rubber stamp isn't it so it just adds to the to the the, the whole you know, size of the series, it, it adds to its gravitas. It, it's just, it's a cool, I think it's a very cool addition. And um, yeah, the, the, the first one that's crowned, you know, world champion, it means, it will mean something extra special.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think, oh, it's easy to, to label, you know, the cost of as a world champion, but that's not what he'll be crowned at, at the FIA prize given, is it? When when you are the world champion, that's
1: something that stays with you forever. And he deserves to be. And all the the previous champions deserve to be too, but that's just not the, the the way it worked out. And um but the fact it now has world championship status going forward is um
2: is cool. I think it'll be a big help as well that they're going into next season as as poker world championship uh, status because of the uncertain landscape at the moment with, with what's happened with the pandemic, you know, partners were not able to be, or very few anyway, were able to be at uh, Berlin. Now, if if, if this, this situation continues and we're not able to go to the true street tracks, the true city centre tracks like Paris and Berlin, then at least, you know, the world championship status can offset some of, some of that just loss in terms of getting messages across and taking race into the people in city centers as well. Um, and, and that I think with the, the cost effective or the cost measures, the cost reduction measures that former have taken and um, FIA have taken the last few months, particularly the you know the scrapping of this Evo Evo 2 kit which you know was, was eminently sensible. And then, you know, reducing some of the staff numbers and reducing some of the software updates and things. You know, the the key challenge is going to be to maintain this level of uh, momentum that it's built for itself in the last few years.
0: Yep. Uh, I think um, who knows which way it's going to go. I mean, I really hope the fans are able to get back out there and start watching some races soon. But it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it all develops. But uh, looking back on that season, um, guys, what were your highlights? I mean, I'll pick mine. I, I, I've I've liked him for a long time. I've known him for a long time. I helped him uh, test the car for uh, for a magazine when I was working it formally. And and that was to see Alex Sims uh, finally win a race uh, in Adria, And just uh, all that emotion come uh, flooding out. So that, that was my moment of the season.
1: Dario. what was yours? There's so many. To be honest, there's so, so many highlights. Um, you know, the Costa, seeing what it meant to the Costa to win the championship, and see what it meant to the team. You, you guys know, most people listening know how much work it takes from driver, team, every member of that team, to see what it meant it just was a reminder. And I love, I love seeing that that emotional reaction. And it's, I suppose it's an easy one to pick, but just the, the strength, the size of that reaction from Antonio um, and the outpouring that went with it from drivers, team people throughout the world and in Formula E too. It was a very popular win, so that that is that's the easy answer. But that's my my big highlight.
2: Yeah, there's so many as Dario said. You know, I'm going to be a little bit greedy. I mentioned Rath's move on Lotterer. I mean, just for sheer brawn and um, insolence, that that was pretty good. Uh, old Simsy doing his power sliding professor routine at Diria that was, <laughs> that was pretty mentally qualified. That was a standout, definitely. But yeah, I mean, similar to Dario, just the way that DeCosta pulled away from Verne. In that first race, uh, blew his doors off instantly, unsettled Jev. I mean, you know, just a great moment. It was ever so slightly roguish. I think, you know, I, don't, I think he was overspending a bit. But you know, as as Dario said in commentary, reverse psychology, um, it, and it worked. You know, the cost, the coster is a, a smiling assassin, right? It's not like that. He, you know, he can disarm people with his natural charm. He just does that off the bat. But I think. When it comes to being ruthless on the track, you better watch yourself because he's as ruthless as, as as all the others put together. So, I think it sets things up nicely for for next season. See if he can defend his ground.
0: Excellent stuff. I think that's a, a very good place to leave it. Um, thank you very much for joining us, guys. Dario, you're obviously off to watch the 500 this weekend. Um, for those listening, who, who's your
1: tip? Well, I've got to see Scott Dixon. I've seen my my Ganassi teammate Scott Dixon, but the two uh, the two Swedes, the tall Swede and the short Swede. So that's Marcus Erickson and Felix Rosenquist. Um They'll be in there battling, but it's, it's a field, um, a tightly stacked field. And um, yeah, it's very much like Formula E. I've got no clue who's going to win it, but Dixon will definitely be, uh, be in there battling.
0: Well, you can read all about everything that's going on there on the-race.com as well as all the... Of- Sam's breaking stories on the Formula E driver market. Don't forget all our other podcasts, including the return of Bring Back V10s, which uh, came out last week looking back at Senna's 94 Brazilian Grand Prix exploits and obviously everything that's going on in F1 and Moto MotoGP. Um, well, thank you very much for listening and uh, we look forward to starting up with Formula E for Season 7.